Hey, my whizzes, welcome to episode 93 of the Food Biz Whiz podcast. In today's show, we're discussing regulatory compliance for food and beverage brands. Now, before you turn off this podcast, hear me out. This is going to be one of the most captivating podcasts on compliance that you have ever listened to. I promise. So in today's show, I am joined by my guest, Valerie Madamba, a former food regulatory lawyer who currently holds the role of regulatory principal at Foodwit. Foodwit is a consulting firm that provides regulatory and food safety managed services to food brands. Together, we're going to talk about what compliance even is, the risks of not being compliant, mistakes that Val sees emerging brands make as they try to adhere to food safety laws, and who is responsible if something goes wrong. We're going to discuss foods versus supplements and what to take into consideration there and a whole lot more. So keep on listening. You're listening to Food Biz Whiz, the weekly podcast for everyone in the packaged food industry. Join your host, Allie Ball, to learn how to launch, grow, and scale your business. You'll hear real-life examples from her time as a professional grocery buyer, interviews with CPG experts, and listen in on actual client coaching sessions. Let's get going. This episode is supported by Canva, one of my favorite online tools for creating beautiful on-brand sell sheets, promotional materials, social media posts, website graphics, and more. I use Canva Pro every single day in my business. And I love that I can save my brand colors, my fonts, and my templates on their platform. It takes the guesswork out of designing graphics, and it saves so much time as my brand elements are at my fingertips. Since their launch in 2013, Canva has helped more than 15 million users and claim to have a design made on their platform every 30 seconds. That's nuts. Try out Canva today by visiting the link in my profile and start creating beautiful on-brand designs in minutes. Welcome, Val. I'm so excited to have you on the show today. Okay. Hey, Allie. I am excited to be here. (laughs) I'm excited. I can't wait. I, you know, we were saying this offline, but I'm really excited for my listeners to get fired up over the topic of compliance. So, I'm, I want to jump right in, right from the beginning. Val, can you, can you tell me a little bit about your career path and like what the heck led you <laughs> down this path of helping food and supplement brands with regulatory and compliance strategies? I feel like it's a little bit, um, it's a unique career path. Yeah, it definitely is. And I loved your intro and um, I too want the world to get fired up about <laughs> compliance and food. Um, but it definitely is a little bit of a niche career path. Um, you know, I started out, as you mentioned, um, as a food regulatory lawyer. I, I kind of wanted to do something in public health very mm. generally when I was in mm. law school. Like that felt um, like something, like a world I wanted to be in, but I really yep. didn't have a niche. I didn't have I didn't even have a policy or a scientific yep. background. So yep. I was really feeling it out. Um, but, you know, I got to say, I was just and have always been a food person. Mm, <laughs> I put yeah. in my application to FDA, hoping that somehow, you know, the stars would align. Um, I, I went to school in, the, in D.C. And, yep. you know, luckily it worked out. And I found myself 
assigned to the food team within um, the office of the chief counsel at FDA. So I was there for a number of years and it's just the most amazing place to really go through food regulatory boot camp, which was completely sure. new to me. And, you know, at that time, there wasn't really a lot of um, like food law curriculum in mm. law school, at least not at my law school. Um, I think that's changed a little bit, but um, again, totally new to me, um, but I really fell in love with it. Um, I spent, after that, spent a couple years in private practice um, in life science companies, but mm. it was clear after a little bit that I really wanted to be back in food. Um, so I found myself um, coming back to the industry and um, going to Blue Apron in New York oh, and cool. coming on as their regulatory counsel. So I did not know you know, that. I didn't know that yeah, you did that. Yeah. That's cool. That's that's really neat. Okay, keep going. Yeah, no, it was an, an amazing experience um, with, you know, such a quickly developing and growing company. And for regulatory, you know, lots of really interesting um, questions and um, things to set up in terms of um, figuring out regulatory strategy and posture. So um, after a number of years there, um, actually last year, I made the move to the consulting side um, and have now joined the team at Foodwit, where I'm really focusing on regulatory compliance issues, supporting food safety with our team. Um, so it's it's really fun and just dynamic. And we work with, you know, brands throughout CPG, uh, but also e-commerce, mm. um, quick service restaurants, and some ingredient manufacturers as well. I love that we live in this like modern world where there is a whole consulting firm that's based on food compliance for, yeah, it's it's just wild to me. Um, I guess I, I just, I know you guys are like a fairly big team at food wit too. So it's just, it's, I don't know. It blows my mind that they're just such particular career path that people can, can go down and that they're so focused. Um, like, like what you guys do at food wit. It's cool. For sure. Okay. So for my listeners who are like, all right, you promised that this wasn't going to be boring. Like you you said, like, we're going to talk about food safety, but Val from, from a high level before we like really get into the topics here, can we talk about like what regulatory compliance even is? And um, Mm -hmm. for, for people who are like, okay, well, I started my granola company in my kitchen. Like, of course I'm compliant. I, I know how to make granola. What is food compliance? Yeah, it's such a great foundational question. And you're so right that it's, I mean, it doesn't sound super sexy. It can really scare people off. I think that, you know, if you're just starting out and you're not coming from like the regulatory world, it can seem maybe academic um, Mm -hmm. or like overly technical, kind of obscure. And, you know, if you're a food founder, you've got all kinds of stuff going on at once. And this might not necessarily rise to um, the most exciting thing on your plate. Right. Um, but, you know, but the the way I like to think about it is that compliance or, you know, the regulations um, that pertain to food, they're, they're like a framework for figuring out how to do the right thing. And, and mm. I think that is what every food business, every founder wants to do. You know, they believe in their product. They want it to be good and safe 
and high quality. Right. And the regulations um, and, you know, policies, they give you tools for figuring out what that's going to be. And, you know, it's not necessarily black and white. There's a ton of gray area. So I think there's a lot of both art and science to, you know, looking at the regulations, you're not just going to plug them into your business, but figuring out what really applies to your product, to your business model. And then again, how do you use that as a jumping off point for creating the kind of brand um, communications and safe product that you, you want? Yeah. Does every brand or, you know, every product line have to comply to some sort of <laughs> like rules and regulations? Yeah, uh, yeah. Really, really great question. And um, again, it's so specific to your business model, but this is a, a question that comes up all the time, especially yeah. in a model where let's say you are a brand and you're not necessarily ever touching um, uh, the manufacturing process, yeah. right? Yep. Yep. Um, but because you're a brand and um, you are doing all the facilitation to make sure or to ensure that the product gets to market, um, yeah, the idea is that you are responsible yeah. for the processes at some level, right? Um, gotcha. The processes that are used to make the product and the things that you're saying about it kind of at a high level. Gotcha. So there's no like free pass for, for someone who's starting a food business. They can't be like, well, I'm so small. Like I don't have to, I don't need to think about that. I don't, you know, I don't qualify because all I do is make dried apple chips. So like, I'm, I'm fine. Like I, I don't need to think about that. No one can ever get sick from my, my dehydrated apple. Exactly. Yeah. And, and it's true that you know, for every business, there's going to be a, the one of the foundational questions is, you know, what is the risk level of the type mm. of products I'm making and the things that I want to say about the yeah. products? Yeah. And there will be some products that are lower on that risk spectrum. Sure. Um, but still, sure. in terms of determining the right thing to do and the right process to have, that's you know, something that every um, brand and business is responsible for. Right. So there's no skipping over this. All right. So <laughs> I, I just want to like make that foundation. Right. And so yeah. obviously Val, what I heard you saying was that it, it's different for every business, you know, based on mm -hmm. your ingredients, how you manufacture, you know, how you transport to your, you know, your wholesale accounts or direct to consumer, like all of those things factor into what, uh, and correct me if I'm wrong here, but like what level of compliance or like what you need to do to be compliant. Uh, but there's yeah. no just like skipping this all together. Exactly. Gotcha. Okay. So can we talk about that, um, that like emerging brand that like young food business as they're just starting out, like what, what should be their priority as they start thinking about becoming compliant or um, incorporating this into their business plan? Yeah, so I think a helpful place to start is just thinking about what those major sort of compliance pillars or buckets are. And mm -hmm. I think I was touching on it a little bit, but those two buckets, the way I think about it are essentially safety and what you're saying about the product. So mm -hmm. messaging and communications. Um, so safety, 
you know, we talked about assessing risk of the type of product um, and also, you know, important to look at the sources of your ingredients. Um, and then, you know, especially for an emerging an emerging company um, that doesn't have a lot of resources, you know, likely you're using a co-packer, co-manufacturer. Mm-hmm. Um, it's really important to establish a good relationship with them um, and to do that diligence on your potential partners um, Mm. to ensure that, you know, they're meeting your expectations, that you are setting clear expectations for them um, and that, you know, you have that foundational relationship in place such that when things do come up and, and that's just kind of what happens in food, right? Mm. Like there will be quality, (laughs) questions, um, you know, something's going to come up. Right. Right. And you hope that, um, they're not, um, so significant or so serious, but you know, human error is a thing. Um, and so when questions arise, you want to be able, you want to make sure that, you know, the right people are in place that you're going to know about it. Um, and that they'll be addressed, you know, promptly and in the right way. So I think that that's, that's a really key consideration um, for emerging businesses when mm-hmm. it comes to safety. Um, and then in that other bucket, when it comes to messaging and claims, you know, uh, again, founders have to believe in their product and to some extent believe that they're the best and that's great. Yeah. Yep. Um, but, right. Yep. And yeah. thinking though about, I think the types of claims that you're building a brand around, you want to make sure that they are backed up and that as you continue building that brand, that the pillars of your messaging are ones that are sustainable, um, especially from a regulatory perspective, because, mm-hmm. you know, you don't want to get to the point that you dream about where you're, you know, ready for um, a big account or much greater, yeah. Uh, yeah. let's say, national exposure or fundraising, right? And then at, it's only at that point that a big re- regulatory question um, about safety or claims comes up. And it's always so much nicer when you, you could have, you know, been aware of that a little earlier in the game and, um, you know, addressed it. Right uh, before you were, right? <laughs> before you had like 20,000, like, you know, packages printed and right on the front, yeah. you said like improve sleep or, or something like that. Right. Exactly. Um, yeah. I mean, I think there, do you remember, you probably do, um, that like RX bar scandal. I feel like it was a couple of years ago now where they like right. had that big blow up about like what the list of ingredients on the front of their bars and whether or not that was misleading and you know all of that sort of things and I right. I feel like that that happens so often that, that brands feel like they're yeah. like I don't know they just um don't think about like oh wait maybe I can't be maybe I can't say this thing on my packaging or maybe I can't like make this claim in the way that um, I want to. And I think so often Val and maybe you see this too that like it comes from a really innocent place, right? Like they're, these founders are not trying to deceive people or, you know, make false claims, but, you know, saying, saying something like, 
you know, eases stress or, you know, increases, you know, increases, I don't know, anything increases energy, like those Mm -hmm. things are potentially, um, you know, inappropriate to say on on packaging or on websites and things, right? Right, exactly. And and I think you're, you really hit it on the head. Um, These claims come from a place of, you know, your own experience as a founder, mm-hmm. yeah. um, your your sense of you know what the evidence is as well, and you want to and you know you want to be able to build um, a messaging strategy around the evidence as you know it, right? But yeah, um, yeah, you're totally right that again, it's so product specific, <laughs> right? Um, of course, so yeah. so nuanced, yeah, and yeah. And Val, we even see this in our in our retail ready group where where a brand will say something like, um, "Well, I want to put relieves stress on the front of my package," and I see this other brand who's selling in Whole Foods. They say it right on the front of their packaging. So, like, why can't mm. I? Um, and I always remind yeah. <laughs> remind our students that like just because one brand doesn't is doing it doesn't make it. Um, legal, right? Like we don't know whether or not they're legally doing that. And it doesn't make mean that it's right for your brand. It doesn't mean that you legally can do that too. Right. I think it's exactly, it's it's so easy to just, you know, copy what other people do and think it's, it's all good. Um, just cause they're like on the shelves at whole foods, but we don't know that that to be true. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that too can come from a place of, you know, maybe assuming that the category is, you know, all, all making the best efforts mm. to do um, the right thing. And mm. again, I think people are generally coming from a good place, but right. you know, sometimes it's hard to know what you don't know and right. <laughs> regulatory risks, you know, some of them might be very um, newsworthy and we all hear yeah. about them, but others, you know, are not necessarily on your radar. So yeah. it's, yeah. it's tough and it's complex. I remember once at Byrite when, when I was there, we had a confection company that we ended up having to pull off the shelf because literally like the weights and measures team came in. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if, <laughs> is that part of the FDA? Weights you know and that? measures. Um, that's a super good question. I I don't know. If they <laughs> gotcha. Yeah. So like weights yeah. and measures came in and they were like this, like one like caramel company didn't accurately like put their literally like the net weight or something on their caramel company. And they made us pull all of the caramels off the shelf. And I remember it just being, it just felt so ridiculous and so heartbreaking because it was this like teeny tiny local San Francisco caramel company that like was truly like not doing any harm because they like, you know, forgot a digit on the like net weight of their packaging, but yet yeah. for this, this branch, um, you know, this, this, uh, regulatory branch, if you can call weights and measures that, uh, that was their sole job. They were like, they are not complying here. And like, <laughs> therefore they cannot sell in wholesale establishments until they fix it on their packaging. It felt so oh dramatic back then. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> But, you know, I just think about that, that founder, you know, who we had to call up and say like, Hey, you've got to relabel this in order for us to sell it. And sure enough, we had a good enough relationship with them. They redid it. Like it was, it all worked out in the end, but um, it was just so eye opening to me that there are so many ways that, or so many tiny things that, that founders need to think about that 
that go way beyond just making a product, putting it in a package and selling it at a grocery store. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that because there's such a, there seems to be such a volume of little Mm -hmm. things um, that you could potentially worry about. This is what can make the idea of even diving into compliance um, or knowing what regulatory requirements apply to you, make it so intimidating. But, you know, I think it's also important to recognize that you don't necessarily have to do all the regulatory things all at once. Hmm. Um, Because there is a a sort of spectrum of risk from or requirements from both technical to a little bit or much more nuanced, right? And technical compliance is absolutely important. And there are going to be a lot of um, very clear technical requirements for things, as you know, like um, nutrition labels Mm -hmm. and, you know, formatting and and all that, but it's still a lot to wade through. So I think that getting a good sense of how to prioritize um, compliance related activities, you know, you want to, you want to do all of it. You want to comply fully, but if you can get a roadmap of kind of what's most important, what are your highest you know, labeling, messaging, and safety issues mm-hmm. um, or priorities, it can just really help to help you breathe a little bit easier and create a plan around how you're going to do that as you're building your brand. Yeah, I like I like thinking about that, like one step at a time and realizing that it doesn't have to be every single thing all at once, but it yeah, it has to be something, right? Like you have to have right. a, a, an eye towards compliance. And so, I mean, uh, Val just asked, like, is that something that Foodwit does with with emerging brands, like create that roadmap for them? Yeah, yeah, we do. And that's, you know, that's one of the, I'd say, most enjoyable um, (laughs) exercises to do, right? Especially where you've seen or we've seen, right, the whole spectrum of a company's life cycle. Um, We're all and this is one one thing I really love about this team. We're all from the food industry in mm-hmm. some way. So we've all like been inside food companies from really small, um, fast growth startups to yeah. um, much bigger ones. And so, you know, it's kind of nice to have that in the trenches experience with building compliance strategies. So we have a really, I would say that risk prioritization and like stratification and mm. road mapping is really, is really important. Um, you know, as we yeah. were, yeah. Discussing. Yeah. Cause you can't, you know, I, I think it would be unrealistic to think that you could tackle it all at once. You know, I, I think some of our listeners yeah. are like, okay, Allie, but like, I'm not going to do that. Like, I don't, I don't have time for that. Um, right. But I, I think Val, I think that we should scare our listeners just like a little bit more. <laughs> so can we, for, for that listener, who's like, you know, nodding along or like shaking their head right now. And they're like, okay, like I, I, I get it. I get it. But like, truthfully, I don't have time to do that. Um, what, or like, I don't have the budget to hire a consultant to help me with compliance. Like what is the actual risk of not complying? Yeah. Um, totally. I'm into it. I'm, I'm into a little scared. <laughs> it's like those talk shows. Yeah, I love our listeners. Guy. <laughs> exactly. I love our listeners, but I also want them to I, I want them to be able to weigh the risks themselves, right? So yeah. what are what happens if you're not compliant? 
Yeah. So just, I, I think starting with, you know, strictly just regulatory risk. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, there are a lot of different types of authorities uh, that enforce food regulations, but mm-hmm. let's just think about the FDA because it regulates most food in the U.S. Yep. Um, so the risks there, you know, they if they perceive something to be potentially a violation, they'll often start with putting you on notice with a warning letter. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, that's essentially where they're going to lay out the potential violations and their um, thinking about it and the evidence that, that they have for why they um, have noted a possible violation. And they are giving you a couple of weeks to respond. Mm-hmm. Right. And this is, you know, to kind of protect resources for the agency, but also um, to provide that opportunity for industry. Um, yeah, that sounds really the, nice, like nice and considerate yeah. too, right? <laughs> They're not like, shut down, you're done. <laughs> it's like a nice little right. reminder that you got to fix some stuff. Right, right, exactly. Um, so it's it's a nice little reminder, uh, but it is a public thing. So mm-hmm. um, gotcha. it's it's out there. It's kind of, you know, certain in certain cases, it can be seen as, you know, a sort of press release about unfortunate behavior or observations, Uh, right? And so um, it's not a a really optimal thing that you you want to have. Right, don't take this lightly. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Yeah, but it's it's an opportunity to address um, issues. And if those issues are not addressed in a way that the FDA finds adequate, then, you know, they're likely to move on to their other um, other potential consequences, right? Mm-hmm. So like you mentioned, possibly for very serious cases, shutting down or your right. registration is suspended or revoked. Um, you know, there are other possible legal monetary yeah. penalties, right? Um, yeah. If it gets to a really serious case. Um, and, you know, right. that can be related to possible litigation, of course, right? Mm, yeah. Yeah. Um, and talk about expensive, right? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, so I think that's sort of the the foundation of risk, and yep. you know that's how we often start in in thinking about enforcement risk. But I think along with that is really brand risk and commercial risk too, mm-hmm. and yeah. it's hard to um, pull these all these risks apart because one type of risk can lead to another or, you know, a similar uh, like consequence or case being brought. But, you know, as you're building your brand equity and if you're not looking after compliance and food safety and making sure that you are following the regulations as much as possible and appropriate, you know, there's a lot of risk to the customer goodwill and trust, yeah. right? That you yeah. are really investing in. Yeah. Um, I can, I can totally see that. Yeah. And even, even like if we don't want, not even going to the extreme where someone is getting ill from, from consuming your product, it's even just about like, um, you know, gosh, like I, I used to have this brand that I would buy and sure enough, like you know, every other time or so the product would be moldy and Mm -hmm. I loved, I loved the product. And so for a while it was, 
I was able to like willing to take that risk of whether or not I was going to get like one moldy, you know, piece in the pack. Um, but after so long, I was like, enough is enough. Like I am sick of putting this, you know, I'm not going to say what it was, but like this thing in the compost every other week and really backed off from, from purchasing that product. I'm like, if I'm getting moldy ones, like there are other customers out there getting moldy ones, that's for sure. And ultimately it lost, you know, lost my, my dollars in that brand. Yeah. Yep, exactly. And so I think that's a great example of how, you know, establishing regulatory and safety processes is helping you is is a tool, right? You can use it as a tool for, you know, achieving the kind of brand and product objectives Mm -hmm. you want, right? And then a really great benefit is um, sort of mitigating the risk of regulatory enforcement. But I think the, you know, brand and commercial risks, um, you know, are just as as critical to think about. And I think help kind of ground compliance in practical day-to-day operations. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. But Val, what happens, (laughs) this is going to be scary again, but like what happens (laughs) if something goes wrong, right? Like if we are really thinking about food safety and mm-hmm. and something goes horribly wrong, like, or maybe not even horribly, I'll, I'll retract that. Something goes wrong. Uh, who ultimately is responsible? Yeah, that is a great and frequent <laughs> question. Um, so, you know, the, especially when we're thinking about younger brands, um, again, Maybe they're not doing the manufacturing themselves. Maybe they're mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. outsourcing a lot of that, outsourcing the actual sourcing of product. Yeah. Um, really, everyone potentially in the supply chain mm. has some responsibility. And, mm. you know, if, if you're getting, if you're involved in some way in getting a product to market, it's possible that you have some responsibility for um, your piece of the supply chain, right? right. And, I think it can be helpful to just put yourself back in your customer's shoes or your own shoes as a customer because mm-hmm. we're all mm-hmm. buying yeah. food yep. Yep. Um, and feeding families and friends. Um, and if something goes wrong for in terms of quality or safety um, and the brand that is on that product, if they say, oh, I don't, I don't know about it, you know, the, it's a co-manufacturer go talk to them. I mean, I don't think any of us would take it um, that well. Right. Exactly. And so I think that's an important perspective to just, you know, go back to when it comes to um, your level of responsibility as a food brand. And even if you are outsourcing manufacturing, like so many companies will do, um, it's important to take an active role in that and to understand what what standards need to be enforced and again, making sure that um, there's a level of accountability and oversight over the partners you're working with. Yeah. And I like the way you phrased it too, from that, that perspective of the, the consumer too. You know, I think about, we used to have, <laughs> we used to have people call us at buy right and say like, Hey, you know, I bought this thing at your store and you know, I, I ate it and like, I got sick, you know, I got food poisoning from your thing, Mm. like, you know, whatever, whatever. And every time that happened and, you know, it happened a couple times a year. Um, 
obviously there is no way that we could verify that that person got sick from the thing that they purchased from our right. store, right? Like we have no way of verifying that, but we would always assume it to be true. We would always mm-hmm. assume like the, that the, you know, the, the consumer is, they also have the best intentions. They had a bad experience. We need to make it right. And like, believe mm-hmm. them that like this happened from our facility. Right. And so like, whatever it was, like we would, you know, get the batch code, we would like pull it all from the shelf, even if we had like nothing but their word yeah. that it was like, that's what made them sick. Um, and really, really had to take it from that, um, that like empathetic point of view where mm-hmm. we just, you know, you have to take that, that consumer seriously and make sure that yeah. you are then like, um, responding rather than just being like, oh, couldn't have been us. <laughs> couldn't have been our product. Like we don't, you know, there's no way it was our product. I think that um, that's that, that consumer perspective is really, really valuable Val. Absolutely. Oh, absolutely. And uh, yeah, I loved what you described about really empathizing with the customer <laughs> and, and using those interactions as a source of data, you know, yeah. it's not, necessarily perfect data and we can't always trace issues back to um specific products right um you know just in our own experience but it is so important to use that as again as a tool and as a, a source of monitoring totally and you know from the other side of it too like from the 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 business's perspective I'll just say like, it was annoying, right? Like it was really frustrating to potentially have to throw out like, you know, a lot of product or like, you know, um, I'll just say like, you know, make it right for that guest in whatever way they needed us to make it right. Like that often required like wasted product or some sort of like financial loss. Um, But at the end of the day, it was the right thing to do uh, regardless of you know, whether or not it was like, you know, it's a particular product that, that made them ill. But, um, yeah. So yeah, Val. And what I really hear you say is that it's, if you are producing food, no matter how in how, how much you are involved in the actual production, you are still, you have some responsibility in it. That's right. Yeah. Hmm. Okay. I've got a couple other questions before I let you go here. The first one is I want to talk about some, some mistakes or like misconceptions you see brands make as they start thinking about compliance. I I feel like it's so valuable to learn from learn like what not to do or the mistakes that you see brands make. Yeah. And, you know, I think we touched on a couple of the biggest ones that I see, but just to put a really fine point on it, I think Probably it's the outsourcing question. Um, mm. And, you know, there's such a fine balance between delegating and completely outsourcing, right? And kind of, um, you know, when you outsource a task or a, a function like manufacturing, um, it can be easy to kind of assume that everything is proceeding according to your expectations uh, um, yeah. when you are a busy yeah founder um and and potentially you have found a great partner and the manufacturing partner seems like it should be perfectly um uh, appropriate and have all the right procedures in place um but kind of letting i think the mistake is letting that relationship 
um, be completely kind of on an island and mm. not having those procedures for checking in, for oversight, and for understanding what processes are really being implemented as a true partner, right? Because yeah. a, a brand and their core manufacturers have to be in a real partnership. Because yes. again, oh it goes God. back yes. to that responsibility. <laughs> yeah. 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 I couldn't agree with you more. We ha- We actually have a, a great previous podcast episode with a woman named Ashley who does co-packer, co-packer consulting. Like she helps brands hmm. set up their relationships with co-packers. We did it back in the winter um, of 2020. So I'll link that in the show notes. It was such a great episode, but Val, like Ashley's big message was that it's a relationship <laughs> and that, yes. you know, when you, when you set up a manufacturing partner, it's, it's a partnership and you have to, you have to trust them. They have to trust you. And it's your job as the the brand founder or CEO or, you know, whatever role you have to ensure that, um, that both sides are, are bringing what they say they're going to. Yeah. I, yeah. Oh, that makes so much sense. And I <laughs> fell, I think I, I understand why a founder would kind of, um, let that that piece of it slide because they're like, well, I'm not yeah. the manufacturer. Like, I don't have the expertise here. Like, you know, I who am I to tell the co-packer how to do their job? But right. I think when you when you tie it back to that that piece of everyone being responsible if there were ever something wrong, right? Like compliance wise, that that really illuminates why it's so important to to check up that the co-backer is doing what they say they're going to do. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I, I love the way you put that because it's so true that um, people who are either founders or, you know, have um, a similar role in a food company mm-hmm. aren't, necessarily, aren't necessarily coming from that food background. No, and no, you want to be able to trust. Yeah, you want to yeah. be able to trust people who are food production or food sourcing experts. Um yep. But it's, you know, back to that responsibility piece. If you are going to put a product on the market, you have to become a food expert to a certain extent. Mm -hmm. You don't have to become an expert on actual manufacturing implementation. But you do need to become that kind of food person such that you understand how to vet um, and to how to be accountable for um, having the right procedures in place. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You don't have to be the expert, but you have to at least like get your hands in there a little bit and understand, at least understand enough to know when things are going wrong. Right. To have that like, you know, that red flag go up in the back of your brain, you know, that's right. Something's not quite right here. Yeah, that's right. Okay, I've got I've got one last thing I want to talk about before I let you go and I it might be a big one so I'm going to try to okay. keep it <laughs> succinct here. But I'm I'm curious about that that gray area with functional foods and supplements because I will tell you inside of Retail Ready Value you might be I was going to say horrified, shocked, um, uh-huh. you know, not surprised to know that so many of our our students in there are functional foods, right? And yeah, you know, I, I yeah. said I said horrified only because you know I I am sure that some of them are 
towing the line between food and supplement and, and not, and aren't really, um, crystal clear on, on which direction to go in and like what they're doing there. So can we talk about that a little bit? Like what do people need to know as they navigate food versus supplements? Yeah. Um, first of all, you are right. It is a gigantic subject, (laughs) but, um, I'll try to, to lay it out at least at a high level. Um, and as I'm sure, you know, you and um, those companies you mentioned are aware, like the FDA recognizes within the within foods, conventional foods on one hand, and then supplements, yep. right? Yep. And functional foods, you know, it's more of an industry term, which yep. is fine. But um, I think, you know, generally it refers to like foods that contain ingredients that aren't typically or might not typically be recognized as ingredients in the food supply as we know it in the U.S. at least. Um, Mm -hmm. And that might often be found in dietary supplements, right? And so I think the basic challenge is that for conventional foods, you need to be able to prove that the ingredients you're putting in that food are generally recognized as safe or or grass for the intended conditions of use in food. Right. Yeah, and so, that's the G. Yeah, G R A S. That's what that acronym yes. is, right? Generally recognized as safe, and that's specifically exactly. like talking about um, how like the products are recognized by the the FDA as like safe for consumption, right? Yeah. So generally recognized, kind of by the scientific community. Mm, um, I see. Okay. So there's some consensus that it's safe, and it's it's super complex because you know, um, ingredients or constituents of food can be permitted because they're already formally approved mm-hmm. or if they're not approved in the regulations, it's, or they can be shown to be graphed by the manufacturer. So ah, the brand right. can do its own assessment mm-hmm. um, and it can choose to submit that assessment as a no- notification to the FDA, but it's not required. Gotcha. Um, but it is an important part of a brand's own diligence because, again, back to that responsibility of ensuring that everything you put in your food is safe. Right, right. So, and I'm sure, it, like you said, it, like, it yeah. varies so much brand to brand, right? Like if, a, yeah. again, using that example of like a dehydrated apple chip, they probably wouldn't need to do the same <laughs> the same sort of like proving like work um, that like work on the back end as someone who is, you know, maybe using, I don't know, uh, like more like herbal extracts and things like that. Yeah. So I actually, let's go with that example, the apple chip. So the apple chip by itself, yeah, you're not likely to have to do a really complex assessment right. of your ingredients, you know, if it's just a hydrated apple. It's like apple. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah, right. Um, but if you're looking to add now a functional ingredient that's, mm-hmm. you know, let's say it's a botanical that, you know, is, isn't really typically used um, in the food supply and right. it would be likely to to raise questions like, oh, what what is this? I've seen it in dietary supplements before, right. but not in a bar or the apple chip. <laughs> right. Um, right. That's where yeah. the grass question comes up. And, you know, the manufacturer um, is going to need to 
pull together that evidence to support its grass status. So, you know, again, not required to submit, but it's something that comes up, um, I think, increasingly in commercial conversations. Yeah. Um, especially as, you know, retail, the retail community becomes, I think, a little bit more attuned to this question and um, brands might find themselves needing to provide that to potential buyers. Yeah, absolutely. I think you're right, Val. It's, it's shifting so rapidly, both as the mm-hmm. um, as the store managers, you know, the department managers and stuff become more savvy, which I think is in direct response to consumers being more savvy and more demanding as well. Yeah, absolutely. Oh gosh. I mean, I feel like we could do a whole other episode on (laughs) on food for supplements and all of that. So I appreciate you like scratching the surface there with me, Val. All right. Absolutely. I'm going to let us wrap up here. My one final question, Val, is where can people keep in touch with you? How can people find you or find food with? Yeah. Um, well, I'm always on LinkedIn, so it's a great way to, to find me. So I'm um, happy to connect with anyone. So just Valerie right. Madamba um, on LinkedIn, um, Foodwit. We're on LinkedIn as well. And you can learn more about us as well um, at foodwit.com. Awesome. Okay. So for my listeners, I will link all of that in our show notes and Val, thank you so much for coming on and talking about compliance with me. I, I think it's such a crucial thing for our, our listeners to wrap their heads around. And I really appreciate the time you gave to the food biz Wiz podcast today. Thanks for being on. Thanks so much. Okay, Wizzes, I hope you enjoyed today's episode with Val. And I want to know if we lived up to our promise that we weren't going to have a boring episode about food safety. So like I said, it's such a valuable, important topic as you think about growing your business and staying compliant. So I'm really glad that you tuned in. So from here, you guys know what to do. Come and continue the convo in our Food Biz Wiz Facebook group or send me a DM on Instagram at It's Ali Ball. So you will find both of those resources along with the other things that we talked about in today's full show notes. So as always, thank you for listening and I will see you right back here next week. Have a good one. Food Biz Wiz is supported by Canva, my favorite tool for designing on-brand graphics for my business. I love it for my web graphics, my podcast graphics, and for my social media posts. And my clients love it for their sell sheets, trade show materials, shelf talkers, and promo kits. You are going to be blown away by how easy it is to use Canva, and I can't wait to see what you design. Try it out today by visiting the Canva link in my show notes and get to designing beautiful graphics within minutes. Thank you for listening to Food Biz Wiz, the podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe so you never miss a beat. Hungry for more? Check out www.foodbizwiz.com. That's food, B-I-Z-W-I-Z.com for detailed show notes from all episodes. Thanks again for tuning in and stay busy.